In southern Ohio and northern West Virginia, the legend of Mothman, it's become part of the personality of Point Pleasant, where in December of 1967, the Silver Bridge collapsed, killing 46 people. But the stories of the creature that came to be known as Mothman began many months earlier. And this is where all of your Mothman sightings started back in 66, November 66. Jeff Wamsley gives tours showing people where the legendary seven-foot-tall winged man with glowing red eyes the size of baseballs was spotted at least 100 times between November 1966 through December of 1967. He also runs a Mothman Museum. The first witnesses were two couples together at a town gathering spot, the power plant, which sounds like a lover's lane of the late 1960s. As they got up closer, she said, what is this guy doing standing in the road? And she said, when the headlights hit it, it turned and looked at him. And she said the wings were like angel's wings above its head, way above its head. And she said that's when the wings came out. And they said that's not a man. They say Mothman chased their car at incredible speeds. The women were said to be hospitalized for shock. The witnesses all described the same thing, a faceless, red-eyed freak who seemed to have a message to tell. But what was this message? The people that I've talked to, you know, they just said, you know, we're afraid that people would laugh at us and, you know, think that we were crazy. But, you know, they said, we know what we saw. And, you know, some of them said that it was a, a large bird of some sort. Others said it wasn't a bird. I believe they saw yeah, I, I don't doubt their stories one bit. I mean, what it was, I can't tell you, you know, personally what it was. I know that they saw something that was that was out of the ordinary. Something those witnesses and the people of Point Pleasant will never forget. It was 54 years ago tonight that the first reported sighting of the creature we now know as the Mothman took place. And contrary to popular belief, that sighting did not occur in the West Virginia town of Point Pleasant. Nor did it take place at the now infamous TNT area just outside of town. No, the first brush with the creature occurred on November 12, 1966 in the sleepy town of Clendenton, West Virginia. A group digging a grave looked up just in time to see a large humanoid with wings swoop down at them before disappearing over the trees. And less than one week later, the town of Point Pleasant and the creature would collide, creating a monumental mystery that persists to this day. Now that clip comes courtesy of a station I watched growing up, WCMH NBC News 4 out of Columbus. Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all casual observers, have I got a slate of stories for you. And to kick us off this evening, we begin where the last episode left off, in eastern Tennessee. This time, Samantha has a tale to terrify. Hey Derek, this is Samantha from Sevierville, Tennessee. I was calling about a couple of experiences I had about 10 years ago, both at the same place. I don't know if you've heard of the Wheatland Plantation off of Boyce Creek Highway in Sevierville, but my mom lived two houses down. So it was on the same property as the plantation. They had just split up properties and rented them to people. 
And so my mom had bought one of those areas. And in my early 20s, I lived with my mom momentarily. And on one specific night, me, my younger brother, and my boyfriend at the time, we were sitting on the front porch. And this is a very secluded area. There's a few houses around, but it's mostly elderly people that just go fishing every now and then. If not, then they're usually inside. So, anyways, we were sitting outside, and I know it was well past midnight, probably closer to 2 a.m., and we're just sitting there looking at the stars, talking, and all of a sudden, we hear this god-awful yell. It was a man's yell, and I don't know how to describe it other than he was in pain. It was a wail, and it sent chills running down my body. I was the only one that seemed to be phased by this. The boys were pretty much laughing it off. They were like, oh, it, it's just like coyote or something. And let me tell you, I live in Tennessee. I've seen plenty. I've heard plenty. I know that was not a coyote. It was a man's yell. So fast forward about two months later, we're doing the same thing. But this time we decide to take a tent outside and we are camping. And at this time it's just my boyfriend and I. Well, about 3 or 4 a.m., I know it was right before the sun started coming up, I heard the same yell. And my mom's yard, if you were to see, it's a huge backyard, bunch of trees in the back, and I know there's a little pond area. And Derek, I'm not even joking, it was the same howl, a man's howl, not an animal's howl, as the first one I heard. And again, I got goosebumps and like this awful pit in my stomach. And I just knew that there was something there because it didn't just do it once this time. It did it twice. And the best way I can describe it is a, is kind of like a ah, type of yell, but it was deep like a man. And I swear, I swear to this day that I think that that plantation land is haunted. I know it's been around for maybe 100 years or so, I want to say. We've heard stories that it's haunted, but I don't know how else to explain it. I heard it twice. After that, we decided to move in together. I did not want to stay at my mother's house anymore because... She had told me also on different experiences that she heard the same thing. And also she heard like lashes, as in like how they used to smack the horse when riding, like with a leather whip. She claimed that she had heard that a couple times early in the morning because she would go out and feed her chickens. So I just thought that was a very interesting story to tell you. I honestly think that it's haunted by maybe former workers that they had there, maybe somebody passed, but if anyone would have heard the yell that I heard, like talking about it right now still gives that pit in my stomach. It, it was just horrifying. But thank you for your podcast. This is the most interesting thing I've ever heard. I listen to you all the time. But yeah, that's my story. You have a great one. Thank you. Thank you, Samantha. Sure, I suppose this could be a specter, an earthbound spirit forced to roam the grounds of the plantation on which they perished. Or there may be another culprit to blame for these bewildering bellows. Samantha drops all the clues. It's a secluded area. It's in eastern Tennessee. The experiences all seem to occur at night, and these are all signs of a notorious creature said to roam the volunteer state. The Tennessee Wildman. In the mountains of eastern Tennessee, generations have passed the story of a half-man, half-beast roaming the woods. They call it the Wildman. Some say the bipedal beast is a relative of Sasquatch though it differs in key ways. It's not as large as the Sasquatch. It is possibly even not as much hair, not as 
broad-shouldered, a little bit smaller in stature. I believe the Tennessee Wildman is very territorial. I believe that is very important in understanding why they get violent. They throw rocks, they yell, they scream, they shake trees. Yeah, I believe if they wanted to hurt someone, they really could. That's right, I'm using one unknown phenomenon to explain another. But bear with me. Samantha is actually located roughly in the same part of the state as many of these wild men encounters. After all, the scream is one of the creature's most mentioned attributes. And those mysterious whips that were heard, well, those could have been knocking sounds created by one of these bushy behemoths. Now, the clip you heard a few moments ago was taken from Monsters and Mysteries in America, Season 3, Episode 2. And later on in that episode, they featured two first-hand accounts, both describing similar yells to what Samantha reported hearing. Here is the second of those two interviews. See if you can spot some of the similarities to Samantha's recount. Growing up, cousins Rob Phillips and Randy Sparks spent a lot of time outdoors, especially at the nearby Watauga Cliffs. We always heard stories from different people that says they experienced things at the cliffs, but as many times as we've been up there, at this time, we've never experienced anything. One Saturday night in 1997, the cousins were trying to decide how to spend the evening. Hey man, what do you want to do tonight? Cliffs. When Randy mentioned going up to the cliffs, I was kind of hesitant about going up there because it was getting dark. It had been raining, it was wet, kind of muddy, and I wasn't real crazy about going up there. Girls might be skinny dipping in the river down there. Let's go. Randy managed to convince Rob, and soon the cousins were on foot, trekking deep into the forest. Of course, Randy's teasing about, you know, the Tennessee wild men up there. And he kept on, you know, and I kept asking him to quit. And he just kept on teasing about it and teasing about it. As he was joking, we heard this scream. It was a horrible sounding scream. It wasn't human and it wasn't an animal. It was a very ear-piercing scream. Joking had stopped. We looked at each other in fear. We started hearing something heavy walking towards our direction, like it was coming at us. And we take off running. And we ran for a good minute or so before we realized that we're not with each other. Now on his own, Rob would come to know firsthand how physically agile the wild man can be. All of a sudden, I stopped hearing this movement on the ground and now I'm hearing movement in the trees above me. And about 15, 20 foot in the air, there is this thing standing on a branch of a tree. And it's just standing there looking towards me. I didn't think there was going to be any escape in this. I was freaking out. I was fearing for my life. I took off like a bat out of hell. I took off and I ran. I ran for my life. The cousins on, had gotten on, safely on, on, back to their car, go, go, go. but still weren't free of the monster. Come on, come on, come on, come on! And at that point, I realized that I am looking directly at the Tennessee Wildman. There's at least probably nine feet tall. Big hairy hands. And there's no doubt in my mind they could break the windows out of that car. And Randy's screaming, go, go, go. I stomped the gas and we left. We split and we got the heck out of there. It was no longer a, a story. This, this legend of the Tennessee Wildman was real. Oh, and to hear the other eyewitnesses, you can find the link in tonight's show notes. But be warned. The full episode is a couple bucks to purchase. Now, of course, the stories on that program are sensationalized, but but in many instances, they actually interview the eyewitnesses that were there at the time. And for me, that's worth the watch right there. So thanks again, Samantha. I might be grabbing at straws, but anytime I can bring a cryptid to the mix, I'm going to jump at that opportunity. 
Now, let's venture one state north, to bluegrass country. I actually had the pleasure of meeting our next submitter at a great paranormal conference up that way. But I'll let Tony out of Kentucky tell you all about it. Yeah, hey Derek, this is Tony Hall from Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, spoke with you at CryptidCon with my friend, discussed with you about doing a show on military paranormal events. Anyway, the UFO sighting that I had back in October of 1973, which, you know, there was a pretty heavy flap going on all through that period. I was just shy of my 15th birthday, and we had been having just a ton of UFO sightings in the area. So I was determined I was going to see one. I had a 50-power telescope that my parents had gotten me the previous year. I was an amateur astronomer and had it set up uh, in my front yard. Uh, this has been about after 8 p.m. on a Friday night. Uh, I know that because my parents were inside watching Stanford in the sun. Anyway, I'm outside. It's a clear night. It's dark. And then all at once, uh, I just get this sense there was a uh, throbbing in the air. I couldn't hear anything, but it felt like uh, how it feels when a car goes by that's uh, playing heavy bass, just that throbbing feeling. Uh, about the same time, every dog in the neighborhood just started howling. Now, there was a uh, tobacco patch across from our front yard. We lived in a small town about 30 miles west of Lexington. So on the other side of this tobacco patch, I could see this green glow. Uh, it's probably about 30 degrees above the horizon. And as I watched it, it eventually formed into uh, kind of an oblong shape, uh, like a uh, short, stubby cigar. It was green with shades of blue, surrounded by a haze. I looked at it through my telescope, and I could make out through the haze and edge to it. It looked like it was a solid edge. Got no idea how far away it was uh, based on its position. It had to be at least a mile from our house. So I run inside to get my parents. They're watching TV, so they don't want any part of it. They stay inside. I come back out and I watch this thing for probably 20 minutes or so. Uh, just stays in the same position, not doing anything. All at once, it just slowly fades out, like somebody turning down one of these adjustable light bulbs and disappears. So I think it's gone. About two minutes later, a uh, F-4 Phantom, there was an air guard base in Louisville at that time, they flew uh, reconnaissance planes, came flying almost directly over our house at about 3,000 feet, really low for that area. I'd never seen it before. It flew directly to where I saw the object, did a couple of passes through the area, and then headed back off to the west toward Louisville. About maybe three minutes after the phantom left, this thing came back. The light just increased and uh, slowly came back on. I watched it for about another 10 minutes before it disappeared. You know, I looked at the thing, you know, could it have been somebody with a spotlight? Well, I didn't see any lights coming up from the ground. Saw spotlights in the area when I was a kid for advertising. You could always see the beam of light. Didn't see anything like that. There were no clouds it could have reflected on. So I have no idea what it is. My later life, I was a police officer and I was an Army helicopter pilot for several years. So I've seen a lot of unusual things, no idea what this thing was. That's my story. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you, Tony. I love the mention of the jet scrambling soon after this sighting. Anytime that happens, it always gives the encounter some sort of clout. It's rare, but we have heard it before. But despite that detail, I may have a logical explanation here. The aurora borealis, or the northern lights, often give off a faint or greenish glow. But I know what you're thinking. The northern lights in Kentucky. Hey everybody, for some it's going to be a bucket list item. It is very rare for us to see the northern lights, but Friday night it may be possible the aurora borealis basically charged particles from the sun that are going to interact with the earth's upper atmosphere could give us some greenish bluish lights as far south as kentucky and tennessee so friday night you're going to want to find a dark spot away from city lights and look to the north and you could see the northern lights well that was from a september 7th 2017 report by wdbj cbs news 7 out of central virginia now, I couldn't confirm that the northern lights can actually be seen from Kentucky during the dates that Tony gave, but I'm sure it's possible with enough time and effort. But never mind all that. If it was the northern lights, 
why would they scramble a military jet? A fact that seems even more odd considering the month of October in 1973 saw a monumental fuel shortage due to an embargo from the Middle East. So why would the military, knowingly in a fuel shortage, waste the precious liquid to look at the Aurora Borealis? Your guess is as good as mine and Tony's. But thank you again, Tony, for sharing your entry. It was great spending a little time with you back at Crypticon. Now you guys don't have to track me down to submit your story. You can simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And just a quick reminder to please try to keep the background as quiet as possible. You don't want to end up in the foobar folder. And while I'm making announcements, a huge thank you to the few dozen of you that emailed suggestions regarding the Gettysburg mystery from last week's grab bag episode. But an even bigger thanks to Sarah Z, who sent me info that eventually took me right to the episode. So for all those suffering with me, it was actually Unsolved Mysteries Season 8, Episode 13, and I've linked to it in tonight's show notes. And believe it or not, the story holds up. Alright, back to the tales. And this next one, a ghostly one, mentions murder with few details. So just a trigger warning for all those affected. That said, please welcome Daniel from the state of Arkansas to the program. Yes, my name is Daniel Sandlin. This happened about 2013 or 2012. I was living with my son's mother and her family in this double-wide trailer a few blocks off the main tourist street on in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Well, we had some neighbors, and they were nice people, but apparently they were involved with, you know, drugs or whatever, and they were about our age, mine and my son's mother's, and, well, one morning I wake up and go out on the front porch, and... Well, the police officer steps up to me, and he's all like, Sir, were you here all night? And I said, Yes, sir, I was. Well, he says, You didn't hear anything strange or any screaming? I was like, No. He's like, Well, that's so weird. There's a dead body lying out here. You didn't notice the girl getting murdered. And I said, Girl getting murdered? Well... My neighbor was laying out in the street, and to note this, she was a half-black, half-white person, mixed African-American, and this has to do with the story later on. Well, um, about this time, my uh, ex-parent-in-laws, they decided to quit smoking cigarettes. And I'm lying in bed one night, and I'm sleeping, and every night I wake up out of the middle of the nowhere, and this was weeks after this had happened, and that happened to that poor girl. She was a very nice girl, me and my ex and her family. We were close neighbors, but um, tragedy happens. Either way, I wake up one night, and there's an orange light shining through the uh, window, and I could see her very clearly. And note, she was a mixed African-American girl, and the ghostliness had turned her white, and she was wearing a robe. And I had, she didn't notice me looking at her. She was standing over my son's cradle, and I turned on the light, and she was still there. But she had evaporated into what I can only explain as gas or maybe a mist, but there was an electricity to it in the fog, as if she knew she was conscious enough to disappear. But I understand now why they drew Casper the way they did, but this girl's hood, I could make out definite shape of her face. And even the hood that was down on her back. Years later, I went back there to move near my son when his mother had split up. Well, I checked out that place, and the landlord had covered up that whole section with rock piles and moved the trailer we lived in. 
but the her trailer and the three other trailers right there they were still there and this is off Whittington Avenue it's a trailer park that goes up a hill off the main bathhouse row on Hot Springs Avenue in Arkansas this happens to be the home of Bill Clinton and it, it, it was just an experience it reminded me of say seeing a snake or a mouse or something it wasn't really as scary as I thought it was just more of I knew who it was you know she just got scared off by the light Thank you. You have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Daniel. That sounds like a terrible experience. I'm sorry you had to endure it. And I imagine the only thing more strange than seeing a ghost in your home is seeing the ghost of someone that you formerly knew. Then again, I suppose that would all depend on the relationship with that person before their passing. But in this instance, why had she made her way back to the child's crib? Was there some sort of connection there that Daniel didn't mention? Also, why was the color drained from her body? That's not something that you hear all that often. I suppose my only assumption would be that perhaps transparency made the figure look more pale. These are questions I'm sure Daniel is asking himself as well. So thank you, sir, for sending in the entry. Now here's something I don't get to do very often. We head to the state of Hawaii for this next entry. Darren, the spotlight is all yours. Hey, how's it, Derek? My name is Darren. I'm calling from the Big Island of Hawaii. And I know you want to hear your Hawaiian legend stories about Hawaiian spirits and stuff. I know a lot of them. A lot happened to my friends and just local stories, but... One, they're not my stories, so I don't want to share them. And two is I don't want to draw attention from the spirits because I I, I don't want their attention. But this story happened, oh, I don't know, like 10 years ago. I used to do a morning show at a radio station here. And we have an old building, two-story building. And... There, there's spirits in there. My coworkers always talk about happy ghosts in the building. And when I go in for show prep at like three o'clock in the morning, I'd be in the studio with my cans on. And when the studio door opens, because it's uh, soundproof and everything, you can tell when somebody walks in the studio. And my back was to the door. I could feel the door open. I could feel the footsteps because, again, it's a two-story building. So you feel the duke, duke, duke on the ground. So I felt somebody walk up and I could feel somebody standing behind me, like breathing over me. And of course you turn around, nobody's there. The studio next door had a filing cabinet and I would hear that filing cabinet slam shut. And again, just me in the building. So it was the happy ghost. There's station cats. These cats, they just hang around the building. And one of them, his name is Cruiser. Cruiser's a fat yellow cat and he has like a weak meow like his meows are (laughs) like he makes these little noises rubs up on your leg (laughs) so but this instance it was a saturday and we just came back from a remote or something and we were breaking down the equipment and figured we want to order pizza so we ordered pizzas so uh the guy comes delivers the pizza we do the transaction give him the money and what is it? It's a sliding glass door downstairs. And the sliding glass door goes into a brick wall. And I guess this brick wall is a potted plant. So we're doing the transaction and the potted plant gets thrown. It, it's against the wall. It gets thrown on the ground so much that the cinder in the plant gets thrown across the floor. And Cruiser just so happened to be in the building at that time. So Cruiser looks up at the wall where the plant was standing and starts doing a full, like a loud, loud. Cruiser doesn't make noise, but Cruiser was meowing really loud at the wall. And that caused two of the guys that were in the building with me to jump out the door. And I'm standing in the building by myself. I back up because I don't know what's going on at first. And then it registers in my brain. Oh, ghosts. So... Uh, I'm freaking out. Uh, tears start to form in my eyeballs because I was I was kind of scared. 
but a cruiser stops meowing and then just cruises out the door. And that's it. That's the one instance with the maybe not so happy ghost downstairs. But it was a, it was a little freaky. But that's the story of the ghost downstairs. Shoots. Right on, bro. Thanks for the podcast. Have a good one. Aloha. Thank you, Darren. I can appreciate your reasoning for not sharing. But be sure to let us know if you should ever change your mind. That said, thank you for this entry. And I'm actually surprised your studio didn't have some sort of security cameras rolling at that point. That would have been an amazing capture, if there were. Now, as far as this encounter's concerned, we're left with one question. Does this ghost or group of ghosts hate cats, plants, or pizza? Something clearly had it upset. So thanks again, Darren, for sharing that call. And keep me a seat open. I'll be down there eventually. Okay, as I record this, the hoodies literally just showed up. So if you ordered one, be on the lookout. Sarah and I are going to package these things over the weekend and get them out to you ASAP. But if you didn't pre-order, don't fret. You can pick up all sorts of Monsters Among Us goodies over at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And don't forget, every penny spent on that merchandise goes to help the show. This isn't a tea public or the like, where they get a massive cut of the profits. These products are designed by artists in the field, printed by an independent printer, hello Nick, and packaged by Sarah with my help. A real mom and pop approach. So a big thanks to everyone that supports the show through merchandise sales. Okay, I have some wild stuff to share with you guys, so let's get at it. Next up, we're going to make a stop over in the Lone Star State, where an anonymous caller has something eerie to share with us. This story takes place in January of 2020 in Texas. Early one Saturday morning, I woke up to take my dog outside. It was around 5 a.m., so it was still dark outside. Usually when I take my dog out, we walk the perimeter of our apartment building. As we were walking around the building, my dog began acting strange. He had his tail between his legs. He kept looking behind us, and he was growling softly. Now, this is strange for my dog because he's usually very quiet. It was obvious he was scared of something, so I decided to turn around and see what was behind us. I thought maybe it would just be the cat that hung around our building, but that's not what I saw. When I turned around, I saw a tall, dark figure duck behind one of the lampposts. The figure was at least seven feet tall and had a short torso and impossibly long legs. I only saw it for a second before it completely disappeared behind the lamppost. It was that skinny. After I saw this dark figure, I picked up my dog and ran inside. To this day, I can't tell if the figure was watching us out of curiosity or if it was stalking prey. Thank you. Thanks, caller. That's an interesting description. If I thought either creature were real, I'd suggest Slenderman or perhaps the Rake. But being a proven fabrication of the internet, I'll shy away from both of those suggestions. That leaves us with very little else to turn to. Now, we've certainly heard of skinny aliens. The Greys come to mind. And included in the list of Skinny entities is the shadow man phenomenon that we discuss so often. Shadow entities like this one that frightened Karen's brother from New Mexico. Enough for him to feel the need to defend himself. Hi, Derek. My name is Karen Medina, and I am from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I have a story. When I was growing up, we used to live in a haunted house. And we moved in in like 1974, I think. And I don't remember a whole lot because I was only four years old when we moved into the house. But my mom told me that when I was little, I used to have night terrors. And one time she was sleeping with me and I think I was like seven or eight years old. And she lay down with me and I was asleep. I had had a night terror. So she lay down and I fell asleep. And once I fell asleep, she was getting up to go back to her bed. And all of a sudden this hand came over her mouth and nose and like her face. 
and held her down. And she was like, oh my God, what the heck is going on? And it just held her down and she was so freaked out. And then it kind of let her go. And she just got up and she got out of there. And this was always in my bedroom. And I was like, are you kidding me? You just left me in the bedroom with that thing. And she never said anything about it. She didn't tell my dad. She didn't tell anybody else. And I was like, okay, you just left me there. So that happened and she never said a thing. Every time we went into the attic, it was like a tri-level house. So it wasn't like a basement. It was just like the living room, my sister's room, there was a bathroom. Then when you walked into the house, it was the, the middle area, which was the kitchen, kind of a dining room area. And then you would walk upstairs and it was like three more bedrooms and a bathroom. So my room was upstairs. So that's the room that would most of the activity happened. But my sister was downstairs with the, there was like a living room and a downstairs. She said she used to have this man hover over her and he was wearing like a black, like kind of a top hat, but maybe a fedora top hat-ish and like a, a cape kind of thing, but never saw a face. And she would wake up and he would be hovering over her sometimes. And this we found out like later when we would talk about things, when we found out and she would like cover her head and she would like uncover it and he would still be there. But she never told anybody until later. Then when I moved out, this was maybe in the late eighties. My brother was seven years younger, 11 years younger than my sister. When I went to college, my brother and his friends he was still like in high school. When they would leave to school, he would lock the latch in the attic because there was always weird feelings when we would go into the attic and it was like a hinge latch. So it would go up and over and then down and they would latch it. They would all go, okay, it's locked. They would all go to school and when they would come home, the attic door would be open. So that was like a weird thing and they knew something was gone. So I think this man lived in the attic and one day, My brother, when I moved out, he moved into my bedroom because it was a bigger bedroom. And he woke up on a Saturday morning and he saw the man in the black hat. And it was no facial. It was just kind of like a shadow man. He was standing in the doorway and my brother was sleeping with a BB gun. And he sat up and he shot the man with the BB gun. And he said the figure bent over like it was shot, like he he shot it and he fell over, but then he stood right back up. So there was no facial features like he was in pain or anything, but he did bend over like he was in pain and then he stood back up and then he shot it again and he fell over, bent over like he was in pain and then he stood right back up again. It was really creepy. We all moved out. One day he ran into a friend who he was like, I think you moved into my house. And he was like, yeah, I think I did move in here. I was like, do you have anything that happens in that house? And he was like, yeah, it was kind of like a lot of things happen. So it it is still kind of haunted, but they didn't talk about like specific incidents. So those are my stories that I have of our haunted house. I hope that you enjoyed it. Thanks, Karen. Karen's call actually cut out before she finished up. That's why I faded out. I wasn't playing her off the stage. Well, that's certainly something. Uh, You don't hear every day, Karen. Someone shooting a shadow entity. Now, I find it very interesting that the figure seemed to react to the shot. If I'm honest, I never would have expected that. And maybe that's a clue for some of you out there suffering from this phenomenon. Get yourself a BB gun. Show that thing who's boss. And do like me and thank Karen for sharing. Now, guys... Before we hit these last few, don't forget to like and follow our social media accounts for important updates, contests, and all-around good times. And a huge thank you to all of our moderators who work tirelessly to keep the entertainment flowing. Okay, now this next one puts a specter in an odd position. Please welcome our nameless caller from California to the program. Hey, so I just have a brief little story from where I live, and this is in Southern California, sort of in more rural area. A while back, probably back in 2012, 2014 time, me, my dad, and my brother decided to go for a drive to let my mom have the house to herself. 
So we were just driving, just looking for stuff to do. And we had gone down a back road. It was kind of all by itself. There wasn't any houses around. And we came out upon this grain tower. And it was the three stories. It was a kind of a tan white color. And it had three letters on it, K-E-A. And across from it was this burned out building. Well, anyway, we drove down the street between this tall tower and this burned out building across the street from it. And as we were coming up to the side of the building, so we were seeing it from a side angle, there was a window on the third story and there was a figure standing in the window. And we just didn't think anything of it. We just thought, oh, maybe just somebody looking around in there, just having a good time. So we drove on and we drove past the burned out building across from it and we drove home. Well, anyway, we later went and looked up the building and the building was a grain building, as I figured out. And it was part of Kia Milling. And there had been several deaths in the building. First of which was the window we had seen was the window for the grain elevator to bring it up to the third story. And what happened was back in the 50s, the grain elevator had broke and killed somebody that was riding on it. Oh, and another thing I should mention is this is probably October time. So it could have just been somebody looking around. Although later we found video of the interior, and there's no way you could have gotten to the third story. All the staircases had been destroyed, and the elevator was no longer in there. So I don't know if somebody found a ladder or something, but there was no way you could have gone up there normally. So, and then a burnt-out building across the street was actually a burned-down school. I don't know if there are any deaths related to that one, but I know it was burned down, and there's not a whole lot left of it. But uh, that's just sort of the strangest thing we've seen. I'm not sure if it's all that paranormal, but it was totally strange. We didn't know what was going on. But anyway, there was no way somebody couldn't have gone up there normally. Maybe they had found a ladder or something. Yeah, that's, that's my story. That's just about it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, caller. This is another one of those clout-delivering moments. How could that possibly be a person if a person can't reach that vantage point? But he saw a figure, so what does that leave us with? A ghost, shadow person, mistaken identity, or perhaps just simply a trick of the eye. This might be one of those stories that we end up hearing more about later on. A clue will come in here or there that will fill us in on what might be happening there. But until then, thanks again, caller, for taking the time to share the experience. Now before we launch into this final call, and it's a real doozy. I want to remind you all about our bonus content over at Patreon.com. There are three levels. The $1 level supports the show and gives you the occasional bonus episode. And starting next week, we'll also deliver you ad-free episodes. So if you want to skip the commercials, a dollar a month will do that for you. Now the $4 level gives you at least one bonus episode a month. The episode's almost exactly like the one you're hearing here. And lastly, the $8 level gives you all the above and a monthly reading of a masterpiece by my favorite literary figure, Edgar Allan Poe. To be honest, most people just use it to fall asleep to. Well, all that can be yours over at patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. And now for that final call of the evening. And this one, well, let's just let Ryan out of Utah tell you what happened. Yeah, hey Derek, my name is Ryan. I just wanted to tell you about an experience that I had a while back ago. This is probably five or six years or so ago. Anyway, a group of churchgoers and I went up, our youth group went up to, uh, Pine Lake, Utah, and uh, we were camping out there. I remember our campsite was the furthest one down the way. There was nine other ones because we were campsite number nine, and we were the furthest one on the very, very end of the uh, little trail of campsites there. Anywho, our campsite was a big group one where it had three mini campsites inside of it. And I remember that the, the girls of the group, they had their camp set up near the mouth, the opening of the campsite. The group leaders were in the middle, and then me and two other boys, at the time we were, we were younger, were in the very, very far end part of this. 
so anyway, we were in our tent. It was me and two other guys, like I had said, and we'd been there for maybe a day or so now. We were all talking at the fire, and so we were like, oh, well, we'll go to bed. So me and the two other guys, we'd go to, back to our tent, and we were just kind of sitting in there. It was a clear night. It was calm, cool, and very, very quiet. All three of us were sitting in there. We were just kind of chit-chatting and talking and stuff, and uh, a natural moment of silence kind of came up. We just kind of had run out of things to talk about. When all of a sudden, I had heard what sounded like footsteps coming up from our left. And the way we were situated, our tent was facing down to the other two campsites, the leaders and then the, the girls there that were there at the time. And so behind us was just forest. There was no other campsites. There was nothing back there. So anyway, we hear these footsteps coming up towards our tent, coming from the tree line. No other campsites or anything. And we hear these footsteps, and it stops right at the left side of our tent. And I could hear breathing. It was it was a not human breathing. It was sounded like some type of an animal, kind of like a heavy, snorty kind of breath. Anyway, at this point, I'm I'm kind of sat up, and uh, the two other guys I was with, they are sat up as well. And there was enough light coming through the tent from the moon that we could see each other. And I, I remember grabbing the one guy's shoulder and shaking. I was like, I was just saying like, what is that? What is that? And like, he was like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And we were all just kind of like staring at each other in disbelief of what we're hearing. So anyway, we're sitting there for a couple of seconds. We hear this thing breathing outside of our tent. And then all of a sudden, and and the, the, the way I know this had happened was it was a, such a specific sound. I'm sure you've heard this going camping of when rain like pitter patters on that kind of canvassy material of a tent. We heard something pee on our tent. A very distinctive pee sound. You could hear the stream hitting and bouncing off and piddling down the side of the tent. And at this time me and the other two guys are just complete in dis just disbelief. We had no idea what was going on. We're like, this is so weird what's peeing on our tent. Super strange. So anyway, after it was done peeing it turned around and walked back from where it came towards the tree line and up towards kind of the mountain area and just back into the wilderness. Super weird. Me and the other two guys, we, I don't think we slept at all that night. If we did, it was just very brief um, because by the time, you know, it had left, I mean, we were like, you go out there. No, you go out there. No, you go out there. And like, none of us wanted to go out there. So anyway, the, the next morning we get out of the tent, we go around and sure enough, you can see the pee had ran down the side of the tent. The weirdest thing to me was the impact point of where the pee was. You could see that the pee was on the top of the tent. That's where that had impacted on the top of the tent and ran down the side of the tent. And it had pooled in the tarp that we laid down underneath the tent. I mean, the tent we were in was probably a six foot, six and a half foot tall tent. I mean, you could stand up inside of it and have plenty of room. So the pee stream went up and hit on the top of this tent and ran down the side. And we didn't see any footprints or anything to that nature, so I'm still not sure to this day what it is. And it's funny because I had talked to one of the guys maybe a week or so ago now, and I asked him about that camping trip. And I said, hey, man, do you, do you remember when we were in like in the tent and we heard the thing ping? And he was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I totally remember. Like He was completely understood what it was, and, and it was crazy. I, I haven't spoken to the other guy in, in many years now, but... So it wasn't just me. I wasn't going crazy. I wasn't dreaming it. It actually happened. Super duper weird, though. And we had tried to discuss what it might have been because, you know, I mean, obviously the next day we told everybody what happened. And no one believed us. So, yeah, whatever. Okay, da 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 Until we showed them the pee spot. And they're like, okay, that's weird. You know, like, what what is that? I mean, we tried to look at that every angle. We knew it wasn't our camp leader because he was there, but he was snoring. I mean, you could he was an extremely loud snorer. And you could hear him snoring. That was the only noise that there was out there at that campsite. I could have been a person, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you can look up that area on the map, on Google Maps. There's nothing out there. It's a lake out there in Pine Lake, Utah. But that's it. That's the only thing out there. There's no towns or anything in that area. So I, I don't know what it could have been. No animal I know of peas upwards on top of a tent. So I thought that was kind of strange. So yeah, I don't I don't know what it was. I I mean obviously the the first thought would maybe be Bigfoot I guess. Then I looked it up if he, Bigfoot was even in Utah. From what I can find, yeah, there's been reported sites of Bigfoot in Utah. So anyway, super duper weird. Uh, I don't know. Still don't know what it was till this day, but it's kind of a fun little camp story. I still tell everybody, and it's a 
one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite memories of camping, and, and, and I still love it. Love going out camping today. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. I really appreciate it, man. It uh, gets me through those long days at work, and uh, it's uh, pretty awesome, pretty fun. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks, Ryan. That's certainly something you don't hear every day. But it's not something that you never hear. I was actually able to find several eyewitnesses, or victims, if you prefer that term, of this same uh, degrading behavior. And one of those was blogger Crunchy Chicken, and her story from somewhere in the Cascade Mountains in the Pacific Northwest goes as follows. I've had our four-person tent set up in the backyard because the kids like to camp out back, and since we haven't been able to go actual camping due to health issues, this is as good as it's going to get for a while. It's been up for about a month and we slept in it, oh, maybe once. Mostly because our neighborhood is super noisy, something I didn't actually realize until we slept outside. So my motivation for suggesting camping out back these days is low. The other evening, I was sitting in the backyard trying to unknot a skein of yarn. My son Henry was chasing the chickens around the yard when he mentioned that there was pee on the tent's rainfly. I figured Paco, our urban farm chihuahua, had decided to season the back of the tent as a result of his frustration at not being able to get into the tent and snuggle in Henry's sleeping bag due to his lack of opposable thumbs and all those confounded zippers. I noticed the pee spot that Henry had alluded to earlier, except that it wasn't a pee spot from anything shorter than a seven-foot-tall animal. There's no way a ten-pound dog could have peed up that high nor a cat, unless of course that cat jumped eight feet in the air, threw out a roundhouse sidekick, suspended itself in the air, and peed on the side of the tent. A little too much matrix choreography required, methinks. The only real possible conclusion, of course, was that our local Cascadian Bigfoot, aka Sasquatch, had visited our yard in the middle of the night and peed on the side of the tent. I guess I'll never know the truth, and the mystery that is Bigfoot lives on. Now, I've also linked to another story that describes similar behavior just outside of Norig in Alberta, Canada. Now, it's worth pointing out that the locations of all three of these stories are noted hotspots for sightings of the elusive monstrosity we call Bigfoot. But those places are also home to another dangerous creature with the ability to perform this dastardly deed. And believe it or not, these creatures are not monsters of the woods. They're just your everyday, ordinary North American porcupine. You see, porcupines climb trees to eat the softer bark off the branches. So is it possible that there just happened to be a tent below when Mr. Porcupine <clears throat> relieved himself, only making it appear as though the urine stream went high up on the tent when in reality it came from above. And as far as probabilities go, it's honestly more likely than a Sasquatch stumbling in and writing his name on the side of the tent wall. And the porcupine theory would also help explain why no footprint evidence was ever recovered. So Ryan, it's hard to say. Both explanations are certainly possible, and one is obviously more exciting and alluring than the other. So let's just settle on the Sasquatch side, but be sure to put your shoes on before you step outside the tent. Thanks again, Ryan, for yet another amazing Bigfoot bodily fluid story. And that's going to do it for this week. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that chilling score you hear. That's co.ag music and white bat audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week.
Okay, Secret Story Society. This one is a mystery I've been thinking about for a week now. Abigail from Arkansas has a story I'd love to get some feedback on. Hi, Derek. This is Abigail from Arkansas again. There's no, like, really end to the story, but it sticks out in my mind as one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. This was probably, I think this was back in 2016. I was newly married, and my husband and I were living in Colorado. My husband's family is originally from Montana, so we were going to drive to their family cabin, which is on Flathead Lake in northern Montana. It's about a 12-hour drive, so we had started that morning probably around 3 or 4 a.m., trying to get there before dark and not to feel like we had wasted our entire day driving. So we were just driving along, oh, I forget which interstate it was, but we were almost to the Wyoming border. And all of a sudden, there are, kid you not, probably 10 to 12 police cars on the interstate in front of us, all kind of sideways like they do when they're trying to stop someone, you know, who's like driving out of control or whatever. So we were kind of confused as we pulled up. There was an officer standing there, and he said, you have to turn around right now. And we were like, okay, but this is the only way. Like, there's no service roads. There's no, I mean, we're in the middle of the country, essentially. There's no, like, we explained where we were going. And he said, you have to turn around. And I said, well, did something happen? You know, is there an accident or something? He's just trying to understand the situation. And he just kept saying, you have to turn around right now or I will arrest you. And we were like, oh, my gosh, okay. So we turn around and literally the only way for us to go was the opposite, like the wrong way on the other side of the interstate. Like we literally crossed the median and we're driving the opposite way on the interstate to try to figure out some cut through or something. And I looked back as we were driving and I realized that there was this very, very large tanker or some type of like large 18 wheeler that had turned over and there were, I don't even know how many, I mean, at least 20 to 40 officers with guns and large flashlights and those shields that they use for protests. I'm not sure what those are called. And we're running alongside the median, like looking really carefully into the woods and like creeping along. And there was officers standing guard around the the tanker or whatever it was, the 18-wheeler. And it just looked extremely like something had happened. I immediately said, oh, you know, an alien escaped or something. You know, I was just joking because that's where my mind automatically goes to. And I was like, this, if something happened, like it's going to be on the news. Like someone's going to see this. I mean, even though it's like 3.30 in the morning, someone's going to call a news outlet. And so I waited, you know, a couple days and then looked at the local news and there was nothing about it. And I don't know, it just gave me this feeling of like, this officer didn't act like he was worried. He acted like we were going to find something out. You know how you can kind of get those like feelings, those gut reactions about people. I mean, he had his hand on his weapon. The look in his eyes was like, get out now. And then there was no one behind us. We were the only people on the interstate. So again, you know, who knows what it was. I like to think that it was something classified that got released into the woods in Wyoming and is running around, but, you know, whatever. So I just thought this would be an interesting call, and I still haven't found anything out of, you know, every once in a while I'll go back and research to see, and there's nothing, so who knows what they're up to. Thank you, Abigail. Like I said, I'm certain someone out there listening has some input on this strange occurrence. Perhaps another motorist, or one of the officers on scene, or perhaps simply a local. But if this is indeed something military-related, it wouldn't be the first time that they did something to cause a stir on the highway. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a UFO. Residents in Cowley County still talking about a mystery craft being seen towed down US-77 yesterday. It was a sight that, for some, won't be forgotten anytime soon. 
Sitting inside Lindley's appliance store, Cami Root is used to seeing large machinery towed down US-77. Yeah, it sure caught my attention. But what she saw Monday afternoon is something she won't soon forget. There is this funny sphere that went through on this big trailer, and my first thought was, that looks like a UFO. A huge 32-foot craft of some sort, wrapped in tarp and as mysterious as the transport company who called Sheriff Don Reed for help. They uh, told us that it was uh, an aircraft and that they had explored other ways of transporting it, but this was the best way for them to do it. And uh, they asked us not to say a whole lot about it. After all, the massive load's shape would certainly draw enough attention on its own. People were calling in saying, oh, well, they think they found a flying saucer. It looks like a flying saucer to us, and um, we don't know for sure what it is. While onlookers struggled to wipe the shock from their faces and the questions from their minds. What was that funny thing that was on that trailer that looked like, you know, something from somewhere else? Now that clip comes courtesy of KSN NBC News 3 out of Wichita. And although this particular instance was not extraterrestrial in nature, it actually turned out to be an experimental aircraft by military contractors, Northrop Grumman. But despite that, there are many other more nefarious stories of main thoroughfares being closed mysteriously by armed men. So until those clues trickle in, Abigail... I'll keep mulling this story over and over in my head. So thank you again for submitting that story. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night.